Well, good morning, everyone. It's a shame that I can't be with you today to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but I'm still glad that I'm able to open the Word with you so that we can be encouraged by God's Word together. But before I begin, how about I pray? Uh, Father in Heaven, we thank you so much that today we get to celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so, Lord, as we uh, dive into um, this final part of Luke's Gospel, uh, will you please work Will you please allow your Holy Spirit to transform us, to uh, view the resurrection, the overcoming of death itself with fresh eyes, and may you transform our lives through that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I remember the moment waking up completely confused and disoriented. I felt really tired. I could barely open my eyelids. But when I did, all I saw was this blurry picture of a ceiling that I didn't recognize. I turned my attention to what I could hear, but I, all I could make out was soft murmurings in the background. I couldn't quite hear any words or sentences. And there were all these strange beeps um, happening every now and then. And then I noticed that something was on my face, uh, over my mouth, over my nose, and I, I felt all these weird sensations in my body. And I remember trying to move, uh, roll this way or that, trying to get up, but everything just felt so heavy. And at that moment, I just felt panic. Where am I? What's happening? I'm so confused. Until finally, I hear a lady come up to me and say, It's okay. You've just woken up from your anesthetic. Your surgery was a success. See, I just had my appendix out. But I wonder, have you ever been in a situation like that before? Uh, when you felt like you just couldn't figure out what was happening? Uh, when you look at everything that's going on around you and you just quite can't quite put the pieces together? Maybe it feels overwhelming, too confusing for you to handle. Well, as we come to today's passage, this is exactly how the disciples are feeling. Uh, see, we zoom in on two followers of Jesus in particular. They're walking to a town called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers away. It's a fair distance, so it'll take at least a couple of hours. And they start discussing what happened. And if you recall what, what's been happening over the last couple of weeks, uh, what happened? First, uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem as the Messiah, as the long-awaited king. And... A couple of chapters later, he has this massive showdown with the religious leaders in the temple. He predicts this tumultuous period called the last days, and it'll be really terrible. And Jesus tells his disciples to hang on, to have faith, to keep trusting in Jesus. Just a couple of days ago, we celebrated Good Friday. We remember Jesus' death on a cross. But immediately before our passage today, these two disciples hear a report from a couple of the women that they knew saying that Jesus' body is missing from his tomb. And as they are discussing these things, Jesus comes alongside them. But somehow it, it's in secret. Somehow these two guys who've been following Jesus for the last couple of years, every single day, they were kept from actually seeing who Jesus actually was. And Jesus, remember, this is the guy who, who knows what people are thinking before they say them. This is the Jesus who knows what's in the crowd's hearts. He innocently asked these two guys, what are you talking about? And at that point, the two men, they stop walking. Their faces just downcast with sadness. 
and one of the men, Cleopassi, asked this mysterious fellow, Are you the only one visiting that doesn't know what happened? He's probably thinking, this is big news. The, the whole city has, has seen what is going on. Uh, many, uh, including visitors from all over Israel, has come to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. And so they would have heard Jesus teaching in the temple. Many in the city participated in the sentencing of Jesus that put him to death. Many would have walked past this crucified Jesus as he hung on the cross, slowly suffocating to death. Who are you? How could you not know what's happened? And so Jesus asks innocently again, what things? What things have happened? Sometimes I like to wonder if Jesus said this with a straight face or not. But anyway, these two guys, they don't suspect anything. And so they go on to explain all that has happened. But as we hear what these disciples are pondering over, well, let's see if we can figure out why they're so stumped. Right? Let's look at the details. Let's consider what they're saying and see if there's a reason, a valid reason why they're confused. So they start explaining that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, well, he was a prophet. He was both powerful and authoritative in his teaching, a teaching that they've never heard of before. But he also backs this up with deeds, miracles, casting out of demons. And so you ask, hmm, could they have heard about such a powerful person spoken of in the prophets before? And then they go on, they, they know that his deeds were obviously a sign that he was from God. But then our religious leaders, the, the priests, the rulers of the land, well, they handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death and crucified. And again, have we heard that before? I wonder if Jesus might have mentioned some of these details before it happened. And then they say, we had hoped that he was the one who's going to redeem Israel. And what was that? What did the prophet say again? That that would happen to the one who would take away Israel's sin? And what's more, they say, this is now the third day since it all took place. Now, they must have remembered something significant about the third day, right? And then they continue, just this morning, some women of ours, they said some amazing things. They said that when they went to the tomb, It was empty. There was no one there. And instead, they were greeted with angels saying that Jesus was alive. But of course, we didn't believe them. They were speaking nonsense, and so did all the other disciples. No one believed them. But anyway, when we sent some Jesus' followers to go check it out, it was just as the women had said. And so let's think about what they've just said at the moment. It's the third day. Jesus' tomb is empty. And the women had told them that they saw angels saying that Jesus was alive. Now, can you see why Jesus rebukes them so harshly? Uh, These two disciples, they've just confirmed that they do, in fact, have all the evidence, all the pieces of the puzzle at hand. They should know what is happening. They'd followed Jesus around for so many years, listening to his teaching on the prophets, watching his miracles, predicting Jesus predicts himself that he would die and resurrect. And everything that had seen in the last three days has come together just as Jesus said that it would. And so Jesus goes on to tell them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? See, it should have been clear. Jesus had laid it out so clearly beforehand, but they just didn't get it. But notice that Jesus didn't say, how slow are they to believe anything that the prophets had said? Rather, he says that they hadn't believed all that the prophets had said. Because these disciples and even the crowds, they do recognize certain prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling, right? One who would come in power to deliver God's people from oppression, from sickness, from demon oppression even. Or or maybe even the Romans, perhaps. But the problem is, they hadn't taken to heart the other many passages, the other prophecies that didn't perhaps sound so flash, that they probably didn't want the Messiah to be all about. The prophecies, not just about the glory of Messiah coming in power, but also the suffering servant king who would die to take our place and take away our sin. Prophecies about David's son who would be unjustly treated, treated even as God's own enemy, one who would consider himself forsaken by God. Prophecies about the coming king, not coming in pomp and fanfare, but coming in humility, riding on a donkey. But that's quite natural for us to do, isn't it? To simply read and and take to heart the bits of the Bible that we like, bits that we are familiar with, perhaps. But those that we we don't like, uh, maybe those that are difficult to understand, we ignore, we, we neglect that. We don't think about it as we read it. But when we do that, we run the risk of losing sight of the bigger picture, We run the risk of having this imbalanced, unbalanced, incomplete, or even false understanding of God. And so Jesus, he finally brings all the puzzle pieces together for them, for these two disciples. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, there are plenty of moments that I wish I could go back in time and witness for myself as I read the Bible, but this one ranks pretty high up there of the, of the list of must-sees. I mean, I wish Luke would have just recorded a, a, at least a 10-point summary of what Jesus had said. But actually, of course, we don't need that, do we? Because the whole Old Testament scripture, when we read it this side of the cross, it's clear that it all points to Jesus, doesn't it? All the major movements of the story of God and his redemption story, all the problems raised, all the discontent and partial solutions that are, that are hinted at, they, all point, they are all part of God's divine purpose to bring about a completion of his plan. His plan to redeem and save his creation. So take, for example, the tabernacle, the temple, the place where we meet God. We come to meet God. Well, that's only fulfilled in Jesus, isn't it? The perfect conduit between man and God. The tabernacle, the, t- the temple again, where the place where, where atonement is made possible. Well, again, it's at the cross. Jesus is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice that, that can take away our sin and appease God's wrath. We have the kingship of Israel. The one true Messiah now comes to rule Israel and the world with justice and with power. See, all the flawed human kings can't compete with the rule of King Jesus. Not even King David, not even King Solomon in all his wisdom. 
And then we have the priesthood, this special group of men specially chosen to be set apart for the purpose of mediating and interceding between God and His people. Well, that perfect mediator is the one who, again, is only the one who is fully man and fully God. We have the prophets. We have the sacrificial system. We have all the promises of God to Noah, to Abraham, to David, and so much more. They all point to Jesus. They are all shadows that are in and of themselves incomplete. As rich and as powerful as they were, they were incomplete. Until Jesus finally fulfills them completely. But one of the most prominent issues that we find fulfillment in, in in Jesus, is this. Throughout the scriptures, we see how deep sin runs through humanity. Every single page, every single chapter of the Bible, you see this over and over again. People, God's people, God's leaders, just turning their backs, turning away from God. Throughout the scriptures, we see the consequence of this. We see God's anger and hatred towards sin and sinners. But also we see another side, a contradictory side of the Bible. And that is the, these scriptures, they tell of this God who, who has unrelenting love, unrelenting faithfulness to those who are faithless, to those who don't deserve to be forgiven. We keep seeing God's grace and His loving forgiveness. And see, as we read through the pages of the Bible, how are we to reconcile this? These seemingly insurmountable contradictions that we see before us. Well, it only makes sense at the cross, doesn't it? Because at the cross, God's uncompromising righteousness and justice finally meet God's unrelenting love and mercy. But more than the cross finally making sense of this theologically, the cross is said to be necessary for God's plan to be worked out. In other words, there was no other option. This was the only way. This was plan A. This was the intended way God had all along. And so after what must have been hours of Jesus putting all the pieces together for these two men, they finally arrive at their location. They arrive at Emmaus. And it's only after they urge Jesus to stay the night, um, after Jesus breaks bread with them and gives thanks, that suddenly their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. And at that very moment, Jesus just vanishes from their very eyes. And they're left alone in that room with the dinner still uneaten. I'd imagine they'd just be staring at each other in disbelief. But the thing is, they sort of knew. They already felt Jesus' presence in a very real way, even as they were walking along their path to Emmaus. Because throughout Jesus' teaching on the way, as scripture after scripture was, was opened before them and drawing their attention to how Jesus fulfills these scriptures in the recent events, they felt that their hearts were burning within them. I'm sure most, if not all of us, might have felt this way before, right? Maybe it's during a Bible study or having a Christian explain the gospel to you for the very first time and having some aspect of the gospel, some part of God's word just suddenly click 
it just suddenly makes sense in a way that you've never thought of before. And you feel something visceral. I don't know if it's burning, but maybe it's goosebumps or, or suddenly an increase in heart rate. Or maybe you're tingling all over. So imagine having Jesus explain that over and over again. Having that feeling over and over again a few hours in a row. And so these two disciples, they, 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 make no, they, make, they waste no time at all. Immediately they rush back to Jerusalem where the, other, where the 11 disciples of Jesus were. And there, when they get there, before they even get a chance to share their incredible story, the other disciples, they rush to tell them, it's saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. See, Jesus has revealed himself not only to them two, but others as well. This is not a once-off event. And it's only after this that they share with the other disciples what happened on the road to Emmaus. And if we read on, we don't have time to go on, but if we read on, we get even more evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus now appears to all of the disciples uh, in the same room as they are discussing this very thing. And when they become frightened and, and, and doubt, Jesus offers them his hands and his feet so that they could verify with their own senses, with their own hands, that Jesus has in fact resurrected bodily resurrection, physical resurrection. He's not just a ghost or a spirit. And even then, when some didn't believe, he takes a piece of fish and eats it before their very eyes. Now the question is, why is Luke going into all this detail? Why is he explaining all these different things to show that Jesus resurrected? At first we have the, the women's accounts, even though the disciples dismissed their accounts. And we have these two disciples hearing the Old Testament links to Jesus and Jesus appearing before them. We have Jesus appearing also to Peter. And then we have the 11 disciples getting to touch and see Jesus with their very hands and eyes. See, the point is, these are not hidden events that only one person claims to have happened uh, secretly somewhere without any um, witnesses. These all happened to multiple people at various times. Sometimes they're alone, sometimes they're with other people, but sometimes with many, many people present. And of course, Luke recounts all these appearances of Jesus for the sake of Theophilus and us, the readers of this gospel that we might have assurance, just as Theophilus might have, that we might know the certainty of the things we have been taught. The incredible good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is not a work of fiction. There is overwhelming evidence that it all happened. But then there is also the meaning and reason behind Jesus' res resurrection, because the resurrection isn't some amazing event just to wow his followers, right? It's not just some random act. No, Jesus' death and resurrection has always been necessary, as Luke tells us. It's always been part of God's plan, put into motion from the very beginning, attested throughout all of God's word, all of God's word spoken to his people in the scriptures. And so we can have certainty, not just that Jesus came back to life, but we can also have certainty for the reason for this resurrection, that our faith is secure because it is based on the perfect plan of God. The perfect plan of God that is executed at the just the right time. 
his grand plan to bring forgiveness for our sins. And so now the disciples have this same certainty. They go from being this in this utter state of confusion and disorientation, but now they have overwhelmingly, overwhelming evidence, information that has now been processed and put together for them. And so now they are completely transformed. Now they are excited. Now they burn with fire. If we skip to the very last verse of this gospel, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, they continue to worship him. They now celebrate with joy. Instead of huddling together in fear in some room behind locked doors, they now stay continually at the temple. Now remember who's at the temple? The temple where the religious leaders were, those religious leaders who had put Jesus to death, that's where they were, the temple. But it doesn't matter. The disciples now go straight there and stay there to worship and praise God together. I mean, that's what grasping the resurrection ought to do, right? That's what having certainty over the things that we have been taught produces, isn't it? And so this morning on Easter Sunday, resurrection morning, as we celebrate Jesus overcoming the grave and coming back alive, let's celebrate that certainty that we have. Because Luke, he wants us to be transported back to the very scenes that he has written of here today. To see for ourselves the empty tomb, to step into that hole in the mountain, which was supposed to stink of the stench of flesh. Instead, we are greeted with a few strips of cloth lying there in the empty tomb. Luke wants our heart to burn as the jigsaw pieces fit together from the Old Testament. All the promises coming together to paint the picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Luke wants to reach out, wants us to reach out and physically touch the body of the risen Lord Jesus. He wants us to watch in awe as Jesus puts the fish in his mouth, chews on it, swallows it and it disappears. But it's not just about knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. Because most of us know that already, right? But it's that this resurrection, knowing about this resurrection, it needs to transform our lives. Now, I must confess that I have many worldly worries in my life. I constantly worry about finances, uh, my kids' future, what are they going to be like, what, what kind of world they're going to be in as they grow up. I worry about flooding, about the increased cost of living, about wars and rumours of wars. I wonder, what are some of the more pressing things that you guys worry about? What are the things that make you anxious day by day? And no matter what these are, they are significant issues, aren't they? They have significant consequences if they go one way or the other. We can't just dismiss them as they don't exist. But today, particularly as we remember Jesus' resurrection, I want to encourage us to realize that while these issues are, are pressing, they're confronting, they're very real. Even as they are real, I want us to realize that they no longer need to cause us overwhelming fear, panic and stress. And I know I, I need to keep reminding me of this because just as earlier this week, when I discovered that I had become a close contact of someone COVID positive in Sydney, 
uh, having to unexpectedly uh, pack all our stuff and head home early so that we minimize contact with our hosts in Sydney. As I'm worrying and stressing out about driving home deep into the early morning and, and worrying about safety, and then getting home and, and Sarah testing positive and, and me worrying about what's going to happen uh, this very weekend. Having all this happen, it took preparing this very sermon that I'm giving right now to make me stop and think about how the resurrection changes how I handle stress and anxiety. Because in all that stress, until I stopped to think about Christ's resurrection, until I did that, I'd actually lost sight of the bigger picture. See, I had forgotten about my deepest and most urgent need of all that had already been dealt with, carried off by my Savior who took away my sin. I had forgotten about my eternal security, free from sickness, free from danger, waiting for me because Jesus had prepared in advance all that for me already. And see, all these things had just been things in my head that I already knew. But the resurrection, it makes all these things tangible. It makes all these things secure without any risk of losing it. We all know about the resurrection of Christ. But this morning, I really want us to stop and feel the resurrection of Christ deep down. And so will you pause with me? Just take a deep breath. And take in the fact that our loving Heavenly Father has a plan. And His perfect plan to redeem us has come together in perfect timing and perfect execution. Let's take a deep breath. And let that unshakable truth of being united with Christ sink deep down into our hearts. Being united with Christ meaning that just as Christ was raised from the dead, just as he overcome the grave, we too will be raised with Christ in glory. Will you keep taking that time to stop and remember the good news, not just today, but day by day. And as we do so, let us celebrate. Let us live transformed lives. Let us go from having downcast faces. Let us go from being confused and disoriented let us go from hiding in that upper room and go to continually worshipping God in the temple with great joy and praising God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is so secure. It is so well documented. There are so many witnesses, and we can be absolutely sure that it happened. And so, Father, please remove any doubt in our minds of whether or not Jesus actually resurrected. But more so than that, Father, we pray that Jesus' resurrection would actually transform our lives and continue to transform our lives for many days, months, and years to come. May we live as people knowing that we have eternal life to look forward to, and may we put all our worries and all our troubles into perspective as we continue to live for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.